Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The hymn, The Day is Surely Drawing, near a hymn that many of us will be singing this coming Sunday, as we also hear from Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, the one who has more, to more will be given, and it almost looks like it could be a parable about our works and how they avail before God, but it isn't. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be here, Todd. Just remind us, what's the general theme that we're dealing with here in these various propers in these last Sundays of the church year? The end of the church year is also about the end of the world, about the last things, about looking forward to Christ's coming. And I misspoke last week, I should say, first of all, a little correction. I said that we were going to hear Jesus' apocalypse from Matthew. And as I look back, really we're not. In fact, what's surprising maybe is we're not going to hear that at all this year in year A. We heard part of it in Advent, and we will hear more of the parallels of Matthew's chapter 24 from Mark and Luke in their years. But we're not hearing Jesus talking about the end of the world. Instead, we're going to hear the three parables that follow that section in Matthew's gospel in chapter 25. And these all are expanding on the theme of readiness. Also, on the question of what we're going to be doing as we're ready and awaiting his return. And today's probably the most direct on that. It's going to talk even about praise and punishment being doled out for the work that is done, focusing around talents, which are, it's a complicated word since we're used to using the word in English to mean our abilities. And I suppose to a certain degree, that's not a horrible translation for expanding the parable. But the point is, what are they doing while they're awaiting their master's return? And what does our activity show about our faith, our trust, or our opinion of that master, our Lord Jesus Christ? How would you resolve the tension between the season that we're operating in, closing up, and the gospel? I think you have a bit of a choice in some ways, and uh, for the listener preparing for this Sunday, you might have either. You might have a pastor who really wants to lean in on the season, in which case you have lots of ammunition, so to speak, in our readings and the parts of the service today. The hymn of the day in particular is the 
quintessential end times hymn in the Lutheran tradition, The Day is Surely Drawing Near, which really just tells the whole story of all of the biblical evidence for what the last day will look like. And you certainly have this also in the epistle reading, and to a certain degree in the Old Testament, which is focused on the Lord's Day of Wrath. But the gospel is much more focused on faithfulness and on the relationship between faith and works, which shows us then the expectation and duties of a Christian in this life. But all of them are couched in the terms of readiness. And so I think you'll find the connection between both today's gospel reading and the season of the end of the world in this maybe simple way of saying it. There is a contrast between complacency and Christianity. And learning that will will tell us both what our life is to be characterized, how it's to be characterized in attitude and action, but also what to avoid and the reason that our sins of all sorts lead us into complacency, dissipation is the old word for it, and why the Lord punishes us severely and warns us about it in today's gospel parable. What would you say about the intro, which is Psalm 143? It reads like this, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. The choice of the intro, which is, again, unique to Lutheran service book, brings the theme of judgment into our view. This Sunday really is going to be the chief Sunday of judgment in these last three and that has always been our understanding. It's it's the way we describe it in the Augsburg Confession also. Our Lord's the end times are characterized by the Lord's return for judgment. And this psalm has it. Interesting, though, it talks about judging us in the Lord's faithfulness and righteousness. Now, the righteousness of the psalmist, my righteousness, is sometimes pleaded, especially when there are enemies attacking falsely, when the treatment is unfair, particularly false accusations against David, and when it seems like the Lord has forgotten him. It's a call, a challenge almost for the Lord to rise up. Have I left off your word, Lord? No. So rise up to defend me. But much more often in the Psalms, we see the opposite phrase, just as we have today. Your righteousness, I plead your righteousness, Lord. Arise out of your righteousness to deliver and to save me. And this is so valuable to us. What the psalmist says here is that no one is righteous before him, which really does point to our understanding of the judgment at the last day from the whole view of the scriptures. So if the judgment were based on only what we have done in terms of earning our way into eternal life, we would be in big trouble. We're going to see a little more of that next Sunday with the sheep and the goats. What is clear here is that the psalmist considers that the Lord's righteousness, his character, is what is going to save him. Our works of righteousness, then, are not going to be a righteousness that avails in the final judgment, even if those works 
are held up by the Lord as evidence of our faith in him, as evidence of our faithfulness. What the psalmist pleads is his favor and his mercy, his faithfulness and his righteousness. These are the basis on which we will survive and come through the last judgment unscathed. All this is is to say that the Lord is a savior. He's coming not to reward works and help those who have earned their way into his good graces. No, he's one who comes and rescues those who can't rescue themselves. Faith, though, has its character rooted in God's promises that leads forth into action for him. So faith seeks the Lord out eagerly. Faith wants to do his will and delights in it. It wants to walk in his ways, as our psalm says. In other words, faith begets work. Faith saves. Works don't save. But faith leads us to act and to live in works. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God, as it says in Hebrews. And that's going to be a theme that carries through all of our readings today. What is the collect? The collect reads, Almighty and ever-living God, you have given exceedingly great and precious promises to those who trust in you. Dispel from us the works of darkness and grant us to live in the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, that our faith may never be found wanting through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. This opening phrase comes from 1 Peter 1, 4, that he's given us great and precious promises. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. We know his disposition toward us. He's favorable to us. This is the gospel. But also there are promises that are attended with the gospel, the promises that his kingdom will not fail, the promises that he has it all in control. Think about the parable of the wheat and the tares, how the servants are concerned that the Lord's vineyard should be full of all sorts of bad weeds because they know their Lord is good. They know that he has planted good seed. And the Lord says, don't worry, I have this all in hand. In fact, it will be better if we let this grow up until the end when the judgment comes and harvest it there. So they are seeking the Lord's will. They are seeking his desires, and they are always ready to be corrected by him if they have a false understanding of what his will is. And all of this is rooted then in these promises of God that we shouldn't be concerned that his kingdom will not produce or that faith will not be effective and be growing in us. As in Proverbs, it says that wisdom rewards those who are sought by her. She gives and blessing to those who bless her. The Lord's promises to faith are the same way. So then we pray that we would not get caught back into the darkness, but rather that we would walk in the light. I think this is a fine way of speaking of both faith and love. So we want to get rid of what is wrong, and we want to live honestly, soberly, and faithfully to the Lord, also loyally in our doings. And then we ask that we would not be found wanting. And notice what will leave us wanting. What will leave us wanting is if our life and our faith are not placed in Jesus Christ. But if we are living in his light, if his light is shining upon us, if he has enlightened us by his word and given us his forgiveness and now is leading us on his paths, then our faith will not be insufficient, but it will be resting in that firm bedrock promise of Christ Jesus. And the kind of giving that he gives to those who ask is not stingy or insufficient. It's always abundant and more 
In fact, that'll be one of the themes that comes out in the gospel today. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, the Old Testament reading from Zephaniah chapter 1 is next. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff, and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. On this Monday, November the 13th, we're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, the Old Testament reading, a rare occurrence in the lectionary of the prophet Zephaniah, the first chapter, verses 7 through 16. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's son and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. I will punish the men who are complacent, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered, their houses laid waste. 
Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. Zephaniah's writing against the Lord's people, surprisingly, he's mixing up the day of the Lord and his judgment at the last day with also this destruction of the people by the invaders. And it's quite a harsh judgment. As it begins uh, with this day of sacrifice, a day ready for a feast, and then unfortunately, it doesn't go the way you'd expect it. It's hard for me to believe we didn't hear this back when we had the reading of Jesus telling the parable of the wedding guests and also the one who was kicked out because he wasn't wearing the proper wedding garment. You can see that the Lord is drawing on this prophecy from Zephaniah, I think. But the point of it then, especially when we get into the middle section, is that the Lord is going to punish them on account of their complacency. Now, it's interesting, he singles out mortar and stone buildings, permanent residences. He singles out those who are comfortable, those who have really settled in, which is not the way the Lord's people had been all throughout the Old Testament. They had been a pilgrim people. They had been dwelling in tents. They had been somewhat discouraged from settling down and becoming part of the peoples around them, which certainly had happened in this day. So the Lord is going to punish those who are complacent in their heart. That means in our day, those who are secularized, those who neither fear the Lord's judgment nor wish to praise and please him, but really could care less about him. They don't expect that he's going to punish for doing wrong. They don't expect that he will reward for doing good or give any of the blessings of delighting in his way. And so they just live their life as if the Lord has nothing to to do with it at all. They forget him entirely. That's why this day will be destructive to them. One of the sources, by the way, of the hymn, Dies Irae, we don't have this hymn in our hymnal anymore, Day of Wrath, O Day of Mourning. It is in the Lutheran hymnal from 1941, a translation of it. And I think what's surprising is as you go through, I think, 15 some stanzas, you find that it's actually a fairly evangelical hymn, especially toward the end. It prays and beseeches the Lord's mercy and calls on him as the one who forgives sins, the one who had mercy on Lazarus, on the penitent, on Mary Magdalene, so then also have mercy on me. This uh, little section from Zephaniah, I think, really does raise the question, is the day only a day of wrath? Isn't it also a day of joy? And perhaps the question we don't consider very often, is there any sense in which the day of the Lord is a day of wrath for the Christian? Kind of cutting to the chase and saying, you know, on the last day, the Lord is going to come and he's going to raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. In fact, in that explanation from Luther's small catechism, it doesn't even mention the judgment of the wicked, which, of course, Luther believed and teaches elsewhere in the catechism. So you wonder, is there anything about the day of wrath that we ought to actually fear? It still seems as if the Lord, certainly in Matthew chapter 24, 
says that we should beware of this day. We should be ready for it because it will be a moment of endurance. And yes, the way that we do endure is by trusting in Christ Jesus. But it isn't going to be easy because it's not based on our own prowess or our own certainty. It's going to have to be by the Lord rescuing us that we will survive that day. So I think hearing from Zephaniah, even though maybe perhaps we aren't complacent or that hasn't been our temptation, it's an important thing to hear that we don't become and fall into this complacency, whether that's as Peter talks about expecting that the Lord probably won't even come in my life. We sometimes think like that. Well, the end times must be long off. It won't happen to me but also that we not fall into a life that gives only tacit or even non-existent consideration to the Lord. That is the opposite of being ready for his time, as we're here last week, as we'll hear again next week, too. The psalm is Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them the way as with a flood, they are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. This psalm, Psalm 90, is written by Moses. It starts the fourth book of the Psalter, and it may be the only psalm Moses wrote, but certainly it's the one that bears his name still. And his topic is pretty deep. It's death. It admits in here that it is God that kills us, that slays us. He's the one who meets out the wages of sin, which is death, and it is 100% unless the Lord should return first. And that's a hard thing to hear. It's also hard to hear that this is the way of sinful mankind, that we're all like grass, we grow up, but then we die in our later years. This is often a psalm that is read around funerals. In particular, it's in our agenda for when the family first gathers either for the funeral or in many cases for the viewing of the body, which is an especially difficult time. And it might not seem like a good time to read this kind of a psalm, but it definitely is. And the key verses, our last one here, teach us to number our days so that we can get a heart that is applied to wisdom. So Christians have a long tradition of considering our deaths. It's a different kind of consideration than the Stoics who wanted to consider death so that they would kind of just, well, we can't stop it, so I guess we just keep going. And I suppose it's different also than the Epicureans who said, well, we can't stop it, so let's eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die, so enjoy it while you can. The Christian looks at death to gain humility, 
to realize that our great plans do not continue forever, to realize that we are mortal, to realize that we will die too. That actually has a great way of keeping us from complacency rather than leading us into it, leading us to give up and have kind of a black pill attitude, particularly because we know our Lord is the master of death, is the one who not only kills, but also who makes alive. And and here's where I think the hope of the resurrection should never be far from this. It's not as if we brood on death and become morbid, but it is that we assess it honestly, recognize that it will come to us as well, unless our Lord should return first, and then put our hope in the things that do last forever. It might be nice, given our gospel reading, to hear the rest of the psalm too, in particular how it talks about the Lord letting his work appear to his children, and then establishing the work of our hands himself. So we see, as we'll see in the parable of the talents, the Lord is pleased to see the work that those faithful stewards have done. No matter how much they had to begin with, no matter how much they made, he was pleased to see that they put it to work. And in fact, he establishes it. He gives his reward to it. With this attitude, we can go to our work confident because we know that it's not our accomplishments that will establish it forever. In fact, all of it's going to be burnt up at the last day, as Peter says. Uh, But this is why whatever is done in the Lord is well done. And if we're working to receive his commendation, then we're working for something that will last eternally. So again, we're only commenting on the first half, in which case Zephaniah's difficult words should lead us to consider our own death and be humble and apply our hearts to wisdom. But it's helpful to see that the Lord also gives the wisdom that any work that is ventured in him has a blessing that will last forever, even if that work may not last forever, but also that our works will follow us, as it says in Revelation, for those who have eternal life with him. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We'll be into the epistle reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 next. Faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Faithful Christians are facing enormous challenges and uncertainties. Where are we to find our strength? Join us at St. John Lutheran in Sycamore, Illinois, as Pastor Adam Kuntz presents on the theme, Strong Under Pressure, the Church's Life in Paul's First Letter to Timothy. This conference is on Saturday, November 18th. Go to ChristianFaithAndLife.com for more information and to register. That's ChristianFaithAndLife.com. 
The light of Christ through the word and sacraments shines on us not as a one-time zap, but as perpetual radiation. Not only is it responsible for making us new, but it is completely responsible for keeping us new. For example, this vertical call and light keeps us in faith that is constantly repenting. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. It's Faith That Shines in the Culture. You can find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, and ask for Faith That Shines in the Culture. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, the epistle reading now, we are in 1 Thessalonians 5, the first 11 verses. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them, like labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The last Sunday of the church year in the one-year lectionary also uses this epistle, so it's well known in the church. And the three-year is actually going to pick up with the next portion of 1 Thessalonians 5 in just a couple weeks because it's the epistle for Advent 3 of year B, which is right around the corner. We're continuing also, remember from last week's reading in 1 Thessalonians 4, that kind of careful laying out of the last day and how the dead in Christ will rise first, etc. Paul says that times and seasons, a similar phrase that our Lord uses regarding the fig tree and all the trees, you recognize the seasons. Paul says that here. You know it. You can see that things are bad and you know that the end of the world will come. Nothing needs to take place, right? There's nothing keeping the last day from happening really since Christ Jesus has already come. That's why our attitude should be readiness at all times. But Paul now introduces the very same analogy that Jesus uses in Matthew 24, which we didn't read, but it's in the previous chapter of today's gospel, from the chapter just before today's gospel, of a thief in the night. It's very important, given all of the confusion about the end times that uh, swirls around American Christianity, just to be clear, what the point of comparison is. It's not the snatching and the stealing. So he's not saying that the Lord comes like a thief in the night to steal, to take something away, that is to take people away in some secret rapture, for example. But rather, this analogy is used to talk about suddenness and unexpectedness. If a thief is coming, if you knew that much at least, you might not know what time he's coming, 
but you would sure sit out in the front porch with your shotgun the whole time so that you would always be ready and therefore you'd certainly not be caught unawares. The end of days is coming suddenly when you least expect it, kind of like the final contractions. You know it's coming, but you don't know quite when. So you probably wouldn't want to go three hours away into the desert and sightsee if your wife is just about to have a baby. This then is what leads him to talk about our life now and our preparedness. And remember, he's building off that concern that the Thessalonians had about those who had fallen asleep, meaning had died already. He's going to say that that's not that big a deal. The Lord is going to raise us up at the last day, everyone who's already died in the faith. And of course, he'll change us in a moment in a twinkling of an eye with them on his coming. But the sleep we should be concerned about is a metaphorical sleep. We turn death into a metaphorical sleep because he can raise us. But the slumber that Paul is distressed about and that he wants the Thessalonians to be warned against is a sleep and a drunkenness of attitude in this world. So that could be literal drunkenness, that we're so gluttonous and out of it that we just drown our sorrows and become a drunk. That is absolutely forbidden in the scriptures. But it also means a drunkenness just of attitude and mind, a complacency, as we heard from Zephaniah. Paul urges us to be sober, to be awake, to be careful. So figuratively, he wants us to avoid all sorts of sleepy actions, whether that's a manic disposition that would be panicked all the time, or, and I think especially has this in mind, kind of a checked out attitude that accomplishes nothing, that says nothing, that might ultimately be in danger of believing nothing as well. So all of the negative that Paul says is to be set aside for sure. Those things that tend to either distract us or to take us into debauchery directly. Your mother probably told you uh, nothing good ever happens after midnight. That's the kind of analogy Paul's working with here too. In contrast to that then, to defend his Thessalonians, he gives them a little mini version of the armor of God that he gave to the Ephesians. And it can be summed up in those three theological virtues. We call them faith, hope, and love. Actually, Paul has it in a much more chronological order here, faith and love and hope. So if we can run this together with Ephesians 6, see if you can follow me here. The breastplate of righteousness is what it's called in Ephesians 6. Here, the breastplate is faith and love, which is absolutely going to be the focus of our gospel reading today, that those who believe in their master, who love him, who trust in him, they wish to please him. Their works and their life is evident in love, in the light of the Lord, whereas those who have neither faith will not have love either. Then the helmet in Ephesians 6, that's the helmet of salvation. Here it is the hope that we have. Well, what is our hope? Our hope is laid out in the next verse. It's a hope of salvation, that God has not destined us for wrath, but to be saved because he has died for us and he wants us to live with him also. So the helmet of salvation that we have in Ephesians is looking forward to that eternal life that is already won for us that the Lord will give at his coming. That's the same thing, the hope that we are awaiting, the resurrection in Christ. So in conclusion, just to remember where we were last week and to see where Paul is going this week, 
we're talking about sleep as kind of a double entendre here. The sleep of death is no obstacle to God. He's going to raise us at the last day. Whether we're awake or asleep, he says, that is whether we're living or whether we've already died, we're going to live with Christ because he's died to redeem us, to save us. So we're not like those complacent ones destined for the day of wrath in Zephaniah. Paul wants to assure and keep his hearers in that faith. On the other hand, the sleep that is entirely metaphorical, this complacency, this dissipation, this is what it will bring wrath, and that's no life at all. Paul wants us to avoid those things and run away from them. What are the gradual and verse? Gradual is the same one we've been hearing. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Perfect for this All Saints Tide. Also, uh, especially today, maybe that first little verse of Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. I think it can get just briefly at the notion that faith in Christ leads to love for the neighbor and all good works and produces the fruit that we'll see the talents do for the first two servants in today's gospel. What can we say about the All Saints? Well, we're going to hear the great commendation, which we rightly apply also to the saints. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That doesn't mean only enter into eternal life, but it certainly means that as well. And finally, then our Alleluia verse is a key verse taken from today's gospel. To the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Pastor John Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, according to the three-year lectionary. And we will begin a look at the gospel reading of Matthew 25 next. The blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, all sin. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Faith Lutheran Church and School in Plano, Texas preaches Christ crucified. Join us each Lord's Day to hear law and gospel preaching and to receive the Lord's Supper. Our classical preschool through grade 12 Lutheran school is second to none. The school serves home educators too with online classes in the high school. We are located at 1701 East Park Boulevard in Plano, Texas. Reach us by phone at 972-423-7448 or on the web at www.flsplano.org. 
Memorial Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Sean, we come now to the Gospel reading of Matthew 25, beginning at verse 14. Right after hearing the parable of the ten virgins, we hear, Jesus said it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Well, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, it ends with judgment, absolutely, and a description of eternal punishment, the prison, hell. And it's quite a startling uh, day of wrath sort of gospel, I suppose. As we look back at it, though, what should jump out first of all is faith. So as with so many of the master-servant parables, the opinion of the master is in view most of all. And we see that both of the first two servants have a high opinion of the master. They seek to please him. They go to work and do their job. So there's a loyalty in their works, but it matches their consideration of the master and the master recognizes that. It's a rich word to say faithful. They are faithful. 
and then they act faithfully in what they have. And this is especially brought into high contrast by seeing the third servant who starts with his excuse, and his excuse is what he thinks of the master. Frankly, not a complimentary statement, a statement that he thinks his master is wrathful, maybe even a thief. I don't know if he's accusing him of something, but he has a low opinion of his master. And as a result, he has acted in fear, not in boldness at all to do anything, but just kind of holding on to it and being able to produce it again. And the master judges him with his own judgment in a way. So there's lots of sayings that have come out of this parable or that are close to what this parable's message is that I think it's made it hard for us to decipher the meaning from the scriptures. The first one we should mention is there is a phrase called the Matthew effect based on this very passage in Matthew's gospel. And that is the observation that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. So that's based, or at least a twisting, of what the last part says. And this is just a statistical, sociological observation. I'm not sure that's going to be of much help to us. There's also the phrase from at least one Spider-Man movie, I think, to the one who much is given, much is required. With great power comes great responsibility, etc. It's kind of the opposite of what Jesus says, you who are faithful in little, much will be given to you. And the last one is that one success is rewarded with another greater task, that the Lord actually gives these guys charge of something. And in the case of the uh, talent that's taken away, he gives it to the one who has the most duties with the implication that he's going to continue to spend it wisely, to make good with that money, to reinvest it, etc. I don't know if those are any help to us in understanding the way this is, because none of them require faith in a master and his character. That's absolutely what is going on here. Luther is famous for saying in the first commandment that faith is a God maker. It makes gods out of whatever we trust. And that is a method then by which we can find what false idols what false beliefs plague us, what our sins are, by looking at what we fear, what we love, and what we trust. If it's not God, that thing is at least in danger of, or perhaps is, a false idol for us, and ought not to be. Here, faith is also the God-maker in that what we think of God is the way he treats us. And this is devastating for that third man. So he thinks God is hard, he thinks he's out to get him, And in fact, the Lord treats him that way at the judgment. Those who think the Lord is going to be exacting and is going to be stingy, they'll find him to be exactly that at the last day. I don't want to say too much more or we'll spoil next Sunday's gospel reading. But with others, they see the Lord as a favorable, gracious Lord. They know that he is a loving father and they act accordingly. Their work is eager. They know that the products will be pleasing both to them and to the Lord who set them to this task. And they go out kind of like those vineyard workers in Jesus' earlier parable to please him. And in the end, they produce far more than the other one did. Connected with this, it's important for us to see that the rewards and the punishments are all or nothing. At first, that might seem arbitrary and upset us. 
But I think it's helpful to just demonstrate again that this parable, which is definitely about our works, our attitudes, even our work ethic that can be identified here, that we actually do want to please God. And saying that is not adopting a works righteous position at all. It can't be works righteousness because the Lord is pleased with their works in equal measure. So the one with five makes five again, and the Lord doesn't praise him higher than the other one. He gives him the exact same compliment and uh, and is pleased with what he's done. Likewise, the other one has less to begin with. He's faithful in it as well and produces less than the first guy but the Lord is pleased with it nevertheless. It's all or nothing. The emphasis is on whether we love the master and serve him, period. It's not on whether we don't love the master or do love the master. Forget about that. All that matters is, are you producing? This is why I think it's difficult to see this as a works righteousness or a earn your way into salvation sort of parable. Even as it does show us exactly what a Christian work ethic really ought to be, which is that we see the work, we see the reward that that work brings, whether that's here on earth or even in eternity, as well as the rest that we will receive at the last day. All of these are part of the joy of being with our master. We're entering into his joy, not just using him in order to uh, skip over him into some kind of eternal paradise. That's not the way heaven is. In fact, this is the way that it is described at the last day, is that we will always be with the Lord. Remember last week in the epistle? That's the thing that gives us such great joy about eternal life. One last thing, just a note. It would be really helpful, I think, for our fears hearing this parable if we had some sort of parable about the man who tried with his one or two or three talents and struggled or even failed to make anything. But that isn't the parable that Jesus tells us. So I think those who are looking for just comfort for their difficulties and maybe are finding nothing but condemnation in this parable, this parable is not pointed to that aspect. But those who fear the Lord, those who trust in him and have the attitude of our introit, are those who should expect to hear a good and faithful servant. And of a great comfort to us, the Lord at the last day is going to disclose what faith in him has produced in our life, even if it was unseen to us. To hear about that, we'll have to look at next week's gospel. A minute or so to talk about the hymn of the day, the day is surely drawing near. Yeah, we'll mention this next week as well. Since the three-year lectionary styles the last Sunday often as Christ the King Sunday, it kind of obscures the judgment somewhat. And so this Sunday is when we get the great Lutheran hymn, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. This hymn is fantastic. It speaks all about the biblical evidence of the judgment day. Uh, about the final trumpet, like we heard last Sunday in the epistle, about the books and the records being told, those who sought but the complacent and carnal things of this world, how they're cast into eternal death, but also our confidence in stanzas five and six, that Christ is our intercessor, that his death has redeemed us, as our epistle today says, that we put our trust in this and therefore have confidence that he will read that we are part of his book of life. The last stanza then is a prayer mostly fixed on the last day, but we should see that our eagerness for his coming in no way blunts our eagerness to please him and serve him and to do everything that Paul mentioned as well, 
that we would encourage one another and build one another up in this life of service to the Lord, which is absolutely in keeping with faith in his great and precious promises. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you again. You're very welcome. When we come back, listener email and the issues, etc. comment line. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. You're personally invited to join Lutherans for Life and Why for Life in celebrating the theme, Just As I Am, January 14th through the 20th during Life Week 2024. Each theme day will explore a distinct aspect of life ministry through local activities, online educational events, interviews, and more. Find out more at lutheransforlife.org. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Sanctifying your housework with the Word of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism, as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries, right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, Chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana.